0: Have fun at church. Oh, well, good morning. Good morning. Can we honor all our reconciliation agents running around giving out our movie tickets? Let's give them a round of applause. I took bravery. All of us in Jesus are ministers of reconciliation. If you're in Jesus, you're called to it. 2 Corinthians five eighteen nineteen 19 says, Now all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses, their debts, their sins against them. And he was committed to us, he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. I'll be honest with you, I am absolutely nervous, and I'm never nervous. That's exactly what Nick said. Oh, If you can accepted Jesus your Lord and Savior, you have the reconciliation. You're an agent of God. Hard to believe, but you are. You may not feel like it, but you are. You're anointed to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're too good to be true news. For some of us, that sounds like a daunting task, doesn't it? You know what the kids did this morning, what that was? Sharing the gospel. Your ticket has a couple of verses on there talking about how good God is, right? The enemy, though, he's good at that. He wants to come in and say, oh, you're not qualified. Nope, you know your history, your past? You know you failed at? You shouldn't be sharing the gospel you're not good enough. You are. You're qualified because of what he did for us. By speaking Jesus' name over whatever we are praying about, speaking to, laying hands on, his power is flowing through each and every single one of you. It cannot be stopped by anything of this world, not one thing. I believe um, Grant shared it last week. About you but that does not sound like it's a mission impossible. Would you agree? So let's pray this morning, Father God. I thank you that <clears throat> you're doing the work in all of us that's special, unique, precious in your eyes. You see favor in us, Father, your Son, Holy Spirit. Father, I thank you for this morning. I think of this place we get to come and just uh, spend a sweet, sweet time of worship with the worship team and just. Uh, in your presence, holding your hand, uh, opening up our heart valve, Papa, and just uh, letting you pour in. So Father, we just thank you for that. We love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. So this morning, um, I'm going to be honest with you, I, was, I wasn't struggling. I just, you ever feel like you get a word from God, but it's like nine different things. You're like, how does all this fit together? And so you spend the whole week or month trying to figure out what he's trying to share with you and talk with you and break it apart. And I thought I had it all finished. And um, I'm sitting up Saturday night, and I can't sleep, and insomnia's kicking in, and he drops in more, and I'm like, oh, there's the picture he's trying to paint. So this morning, I'm going to share a few missions with you, we'll, we'll call them missions, but they're stories about history. Uh, one is actually somebody from World War II, I want to talk about him this morning, and obviously two stories in our word, his word. So... We're going to start off this morning with a guy by the name of Louis E. Curtis. What do you see in that picture? Obviously, he's a pilot. Huh? See some swastikas on the side, which means he shot down some German planes. There's an Italian logo on there. And there's a Japanese logo on there. What else do you see? There's an American flag on there. That means he tallied an American plane during World War II. We're gonna talk about this one. I'm gonna give you a little backstory on this guy. Believe it or not, he's from Fort Wayne, Indiana. Right here at home, close to us. He shot down seven German planes, one Italian, one Japanese, and obviously one American plane. He attended Purdue University, but on December 6th, 1941, he decided, I've had enough. I want to join the military. Anybody know what happened the next day? Pearl Harbor. What's the odds of that? I'm going to join the military, and the next day, we get attacked. December 1942, Lewis would be flying against Germans in his P-38 with less than a month. He had shot down five planes, damaging another, making him an ace within less than a month. And within a span of seven weeks, he would shoot down three more planes. This guy has a story. But by April of 1943, he was shot down by a German fighter, but he walked away. Only to be captured by the Italians. Crazy part is, once he got captured in the POW camp, within three days, Italy surrendered. A bunch of his pilots, his buddies, they all escaped the POW camp. It took him eight months to make it back to the front lines, May of 1944. They put him back in a plane. Put him back in a plane. He spent the next eight months evading Germans. So he was sent to the Pacific Theater in February 7, 1945. And once there, you can see, he shot on a Japanese plane. I would say that Lewis's mission at this point had been pretty busy, wouldn't you? From the time he decided, I'm joining, he's shooting down planes, gets captured, ends up in Japan, over and fighting in the Pacific. <coughs> this is where his story gets crazy. Now Lewis trusted God. He was a, he was a believer. When you agree he's got a trust that no on the inside of him to know what to do in times like that, crazy times. February 10, 1945, we're on a recon mission of a Japanese airfield with three other pilots. While finding their target and attacking, one of the US planes was hit and the pilot bailed his plane out of the Pacific waters. Now, there's a guy out there floating in the Pacific Ocean. Lewis recording the position of the search and rescue, Lewis spotted what was a twin-engine C-45 transport plane. So it was an unarmed plane, but it had a US insignia on it. And it was flying directly towards the base they just attacked. <clears throat> he tried to radio on them. He tried doing the old wing things. And hey, are you able to talk? No response. What would you do? Was it a plane captured by the Japanese? Was it Americans flying that just lost? He makes a choice, a difficult one to make, only gone by what he knows, and what he sees, and he shoots the plane down. Hence the logo, an American plane. Now, if you recall, one of the pilots that was in that group with him, was shot down, was out floating around in the Pacific. The plane actually landed in the water really close to him. So everybody in that C-47 bailed out, got in their life raft. And the pilot that ejected swam over and got in the raft with them. Come to find out, the radios had died because they got through a storm, got struck by lightning. So now their instruments were working. The radios weren't working. So they were flying basically by what they could see low on fuel, and they saw there was a possible air base, so they were shooting for it. They were going for it. Lewis's decision probably saved them, people, because not far from that Japanese base was the camp, POW camp of Bataan. If you know what that is, look it up. It was not a good place. Not a good place. Long story short, they sent a rescue plan out the next day. Lewis went with them. They picked all the people up from the, the boat. And in that plane was the lady he had dated three nights before, ended up marrying her. Life's crazy. All by decisions we make and what we see. Would you agree? Well, this morning I want to talk about more stories. I just wanted to share that story with you as just an example of how all of us go through stuff. We have to make choices on based on our knower, not knowing what we're doing, where we're going. We have one thing to show us. The Holy Spirit. We did listen or not listen. Lewis had to make a lot of decisions off what he saw and what he knew, trusting what was in here. Life decisions. So if you have your Bibles, let's crack open to 2 Kings 4, uh, verses 8 through 35. we got some more we're going to read this morning, but I think it's very, very important. So I'm using the message version of this one. Just because it reads so well. It's an excellent paraphrase of God's word. We're going to talk about the Shunammite woman. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Ever heard of her? <coughs> Excuse me. All right, here we go. Verse 8. One day Elijah passed through Shunammite, a leading lady of the town talked him into stopping for a meal. And then it became his custom. Whenever he passed through, he'd stop by for a meal. "I'm certain," said the woman to her husband, "that this man who stops by with us all the time is a holy man of God. Why don't we add on a small room upstairs and furnish it with a bed and desk, chair and a lamp, so that when he comes comes by, he can stay with us?" And so it happened. The next time Elijah came by, he went to his room, went to the room, and lay down for a nap. And then he said to his servant, Gehazi, tell the Shunammite woman, I want to see her. And he called her and she came to him. Through Gehazi, Elijah said, you've gone far beyond the call of duty and taken care of us. What can we do for you? Do you have a request? We can bring to the king or to the commander of the army. She replied, nothing. I'm secure and satisfied in my family. Elijah conferred with Gehazi. There's got to be something we can do for her. But What? Of course, his servant says, well, she, had, she has no son, and her husband is an old man. So Elijah says, call her in. He called her, and she stood on the open door. And Elijah said to her, this time next year, you're going to be nursing an infant son. Oh, master, oh, holy man, she said, don't play games with me, teasing with such fantasies. And when you know it, the woman conceived a year later, just as Elijah had said, she had a son. I find it. I find it interesting how this story is real close to Abraham and Sarah where God said, I'm going to bless you with a son. Here's a woman who didn't have a son. And Elijah promises her that within a year's time, you're going to have a son. <clears throat> Verse 17, the woman conceived a year later, just as Elijah said, and she had a son, 18 and 19. The child grew up. One day he went to his father, who was working with the heart of his hands, Complaining, my head, my head. His father ordered a servant, carry him to his mother. A servant took his arms and carried him to his mother. He lay her on a lap until noon and died. For centuries, we've seen tragedies unfold just like this one. If we stop the story here, we could be corrupted with a lot of thoughts. Some people would say, why would God bless this one with a child only for him to get sick and pass away at such a young age? Some of us can relate to that. God this to teach this woman a lesson. This family must have had a lot of sin in their lives, and now they're being cursed and on and on and on. These are things that you say is pretty dumb stuff sometimes. You ever notice that God always seems to get blamed, but not the devil or this fallen world? Details matter, especially in his word. So let's finish the story. You don't have to forgive me. My throat's a little dry. She took him up, laid him on the bed, the man of God, shut him in alone, and left. She then called her husband, get me a servant and a donkey so I can go to the holy man. I'll be back as soon as I can. Now, I can relate to this guy because she sounds like she knows what she wants. I'm married to that type of person, just so you know. Jody knows what she wants. She tells me, and that's what we do. It's a good thing. I know what I'm getting. There's no ifs, ands, or buts. But why today? This isn't a holy day. It's neither a new moon nor Sabbath. She said, don't ask questions. I need to go right now. Trust me. She went ahead, sailed the donkey, ordering her servant, take the lead and go as fast as you can. If you te- I'll tell you if you're going too fast. And so off she went. She came to the holy man at Mount Carmel. The holy man, spotting her while she was still a long way off, said to his servant Gehazi, look out there. Why is the Shittimite woman? quickly now. Ask her, is something wrong? Are you all right? Your husband, your child? What's her response? Everything is fine. I don't know about you. That probably would not have been my response if it was my boy laying there in bed. Her response. Everything is fine. But when she reached the holy man at the mountain, She threw herself at his feet, held tightly to him, and Gehazi came up to pull her away. But the holy man said, leave her alone. Can't you see that she's in distress? But God hasn't let me in on why. I'm completely in the dark. Then she spoke up, did I ask for a son? Master, didn't I tell you, don't tease me with false hopes? He ordered Gehazi, don't lose a minute. Grab my staff and run as fast as you can. If you meet anyone, don't even take time to greet him. And if anyone greets you, don't even answer. Lay my staff across the boy's face. I'm going to be honest with you. That last sentence there, lay the staff across the boy's face, jumped out of me. And my first thought is, why is he laying the staff across the boy's face? What's that got to do with price of tea in China? We'll come back to that one. The boy's mother said, as sure as God lives and you live, you're not leaving me behind. And so Gehazi let her take the lead and follow behind. But Gehazi arrived first and laid the staff across the boy's face. But there was no sound, no sign of life. Gehazi went back to meet Elijah and said, the boy hasn't stirred. Elijah entered the house and found the boy stretched out in the bed dead. He went to the room and locked the door. Just the two of them in the room and prayed to God. He then got into bed with the boy and covered him with his body, mouth on mouth, eyes on eyes, hands on hands. And as he was stretched out over him like that, the boy's body became warm. Elijah got up, paced back and forth in the room, then went back and stretched himself on the boy again. The boy started sneezing. Seven times he sneezed and opened his eyes. He He called Gehazi and said, get the Shunammite woman in here. He called her and she came in. Elijah said, embrace your son. Embrace your son. You know, as I was preparing for this morning, and like I said, I had like three different things, and I wasn't sure how it all fit together. And the Holy Spirit was ministering to me that it's vital for me to keep what I know is true in front of my M and M's. Yeah, you heard me right. It's vital for me to keep what is true in front of, me, in front of my M and M's. What's my M and M's? My mind and my mouth. Most days I'm pretty good to be quick to listen and slow to speak, but then there's some days I'm quick to speak and slow to listen. Which one probably gets me further? Quick to speak or slow to listen? And slow to listen, or quick to listen and slow to speak? The woman's response to me to Elijah's servant is mind-blowing. Everything's fine. Everything's fine. How would you have responded? And why did Elijah tell Gehazi to put the staff on the boy's face? I sat with me and I just could not get over it. So much so that <clears throat> I decided to look into it a little more. Some of you know I've been struggling. This whole thing has me frustrated angry. I want to be like the guy on the mat or the guy with the pool. I just want to get up and walk. Here we go. Start singing like I used to sing. It had me wore out. I was frustrated. I was angry. I sit in my office when i night at work. Me and God were talking. I'm like, Lord, you got to show me because I'm frustrated. I'm tired. I'm wore out. And I find it funny that Isaac shared a couple weeks ago about how much more. How much more. And then Grant shared last week about the love of God. I didn't listen to Grant's message until like Thursday. And I find it funny because the download I got from God was, was pretty clear. You when the Holy Spirit talks? He's real gentle. It's like a pressing on He's just, you can tell he's loving on you. It was clear as day. He's like, why are you so focused on the healing when you're not even focused on me? You heard me right. Pride does a funny thing. Pride gets to the point where you're not even focused on what God wants for you, what he's done for you. You get focused on the issue, the circumstance. Guilty. As clear as day, he says, will you just let me love on you? I just want to love on you. But my frustration and my anger and my fear had almost taken the door and said, stop loving on me and just fix this. I know what the word says. I believe it. The enemy likes to come in and say, it's not for you. It's not for you. We're no different than how the old saints were. I want to share a story. Exodus 17 7, but I'm gonna read the story to you if that's okay. I only gave you one verse, Jane, but that's okay. You guys remember the time that Moses struck the lock or the rock and the water came from it? What do you use? Staff. At the Lord's command, the people of Israel left the Sin Desert and moved from place to place. Eventually they came to, I have no idea what that Rephodeum. But there was no no water to be found here. So once more the people grumbled and complained to Moses. Give us water to drink, they demanded. Quiet, Moses replied. Why are you arguing with me? And why are you testing the, testing the Lord? But tormented by thirst, they continued to complain. Why do you ever take us out of Egypt? Why do you bring us here? We are children and our livestock will all die. Then Moses pleased the Lord. What should I do with the people? They're about to stone me. The Lord said to Moses, take your shepherd's staff, the one you you used when you struck the water of the Nile, and call some of the leaders of Israel and walk on ahead of the people. I will meet you by the rock at Mount Sinai. Strike the rock and water will come pouring out. Then the people will be able to drink. Moses did just as, just as he was told, and the leaders looked on, and water gushed out. Moses named the place Masa, the place of testing, Mirabal, the place of arguing, because the people of Israel argued with Moses and tested the Lord by saying, Is the Lord going to take care of us or not? You ever been there? Is the Lord going to take care of me or not? Where are you at, God? I'm waiting, I'm ready. I believe, I think what the Holy Spirit was trying to minister to me that night in my office is that it's about love. I think Grant said last week, if you're struggling to see healing in your life, it's because you're not letting God love on you. I have to agree. He's not withholding anything. It's usually us that gets in the way. Israelites were doing the same thing here. They were wandering around the desert for 40 years. Love is reason. He gave Moses the power to use his staff, Elijah's staff. It's an excellent representation of the authority in Jesus is our staff, that authority that we have been blessed with, all because he truly loves us beyond measure, beyond measure. We're going to jump to one more story. We're talking about the Philistines. 1 Samuel chapter 17. I cannot lie to you, every time I think of this story, read this story, I think about our trip to New Jersey with Isaac and Melinda and somebody making pizzas. Was it a great trip, Isaac? This morning's message is meant to encourage you to build your faith up. But let him love on you. So here we go. Most of us know the story about, the, about David and Goliath, right? Here's the Philistine army now camped on the west side of the Goliath Valley. The Israelites are camped in the east. Both sitting on opposite hills facing each other. And amongst them in the Philistine army is the Goliath, the nine feet tall giant man with 125 pounds of armor. Everything he, Everything he brought to the battlefield was ginormous. I mean, he was just a big dude. Verse 8. Elias stood and shouted, taunted across the Israelites. Why are you all coming out to fight? He called. I am the Philistine champion, but you are only the servants of Saul. Choose one man to come down here and fight me. If he kills me, then we'll be your slaves. But if I kill him, you will all be our slaves. I defy the armies of Israel today. Send me a man who will fight me. And when Saul and his lights heard this, they were terrified and deeply shaken. Now, while this is going on, David, who is anointed to be the king, right? We you know where he's at. He's out taking care of the sheep, doing what his father has asked him to do. But one day, Jesse, his father, said, Do me a favor, David, go to the battlefield and check on your three brothers. Of course, so, uh, Goliath's doing his thing, still, still egging everybody on. So when David went, he took some grain, some bread, and some cheese. <laughs> like me and Isaac heard. I think he was about to make some pizzas. David shows up to meet his brothers down on the battlefield. Then Goliath rolls out, shouts his name, doing the same song and dance, just like the enemy does, his daily challenge. And of course, the Israelites all run and hide in fear back to their hill. Verse 25. Have you seen the giant? The men asked. He comes out each day to defy Israel. The king has offered a huge reward to anyone who kills him. He'll give the man one of his daughters for a wife. And the man's entire family will be exempted from paying taxes. So David starts asking questions. To verify is the report true, what he's hearing, the promise. Is this this what I'm getting? Of course, his brothers hear this. And of course, what do they tell him? What about those sheep you watch? We know of your pride. They're getting jealous because he's asking about the promise. Saul gets wind of this and asks David to come. So he goes. Verse 32. Don't worry about the Philistine, David told Saul. I'll go fight him. Don't be ridiculous, Saul replied. There's no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You're only a boy, and he has been the man of war since youth. But David persisted. I have been taking care of my father's sheep and goats, he said. When a lion or bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and rescue the lamb from its mouth. If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and club it to death. I have done this to both lion and bears, and I will do it to this pagan Philistine, for he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord, who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear, will rescue me from this Philistine." David was good about keeping his M&Ms about him, his mind in his mouth. He was speaking what he knows to be true, not what he was hearing from this Philistine. David knew the position of God. He knew God was with him. He knew he had the anointing on him. He knew the covenant the Israelites had with God, which made his mission possible. The Philistines had none of the above. They were void of all of it. Then David shows an our key to keeping the mission possible, the, for the mission being impossible, being possible. And I think this is something we can learn from today. Saul tries to give what? He tries to give David his armor. Did it fit? Saul was a big guy. David was a little ruddy guy. Verse 39, David says, I can't go on these things. If that's to Saul, I'm not used to them. So David took them off. We can learn from this. I am not Isaac McLaren, Tom Wardway. I'm not Brett. I'm not Matt. It's vital that you be yourself. Regardless of what everybody else is telling you, you be you. You're made a unique way, embrace it, enjoy it. Walk with God and see where he takes you. The moment I tried to be Isaac McLaren, you know what happens? It's pretty noisy and pretty messy. I'm no longer Tom. I don't mean your your life's noisy or messy, Isaac. I'm saying mine becomes noisy or messy because I'm trying to be somebody or something that I'm not. I'm not called to the places he goes. I'm called to different places. What's sown in my heart is sown differently than his heart. I'm not Jerry Greaser. The guy remembered the whole book of Matthew and I don't know how he did it. I still, I have a hard time remembering three scriptures. He's got the whole chapter down. That's Jerry. That's not me. You're supposed to show up in shorts and flip-flops. Show up in shorts and flip-flops. Luke says, amen. I I laugh because uh, your name was on the end of my tongue and I forgot it. Kathy, thank you, sorry. She saw my twin brother last week. She's like, you have a brother, don't you? I'm like, yeah, I do. Me and Tim look a lot alike. Totally two different people. Yeah, we might have the same mannerisms. Look alike, sound alike. Two different people. He is older, yes, by three minutes. That's because I was pushing him out the womb. Let's go, we got things to do. I can't encourage you enough this morning. You got to be you. The Shinamite woman, she was herself. When trying to be somebody else, she knew who Elijah was. She was still herself. She stood fast on the word. How's everything going? Everything's fine. Meanwhile, her son's dead laying on the bed. David knows his anointing. Knows what's promised him. Being offered something he knew wasn't for him. This does not for me. It doesn't fit me. He took it off. We well, you know what happens. He grabs five smooth stones, slays the Goliath, and then cuts his head off with his own sword, which was pretty awesome because that thing was huge. Isaac shared a couple weeks ago the verse Romans chapter 5, 6 through 11. For while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly but one will hardly die for a righteous man. Though perhaps for the, good of someone, for, for the good man, someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates his own love towards us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For while we were enemies, we, are, we were reconciled to God through the death of his, his son, much more having been reconciled we shall be saved by his life. And not only his, but we also exalt in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now received reconciliation. I cannot encourage you not this morning to remember that you are reconciled with Christ. You're an agent for God. You have the ability to speak the gospel, to share the gospel. If you don't feel like you're equipped, Ask God, show me today, Lord, an opportunity I could speak the gospel of Jesus Christ to somebody. And I promise you, if you do it with an open heart and open mind, the door is probably going to open. And when you're done, you're going to be like, oh, that was fun. We've been reconciled to Christ Jesus by his blood, by his death and resurrection. We are afforded so much more. How much more? That's stuck with me for weeks now. How much more? How much more does God love me? How much more? Hebrews eight six, but now he has obtained a more excellent ministry, in as he is also mediator of a better covenant, which was established on better promises. You think about the Shunammite woman, and David, and prophet Elijah, and what they were promised, and what covenant they were under, and now you think about where we're at, and what covenant we had. How much more does God love me? It's exponential. We have a much better covenant with much better promises than what they had. Some I mean, of that may seem impossible right now. Maybe you're struggling with addiction. Maybe you just feel like you're stuck in a rut. Maybe you're in a broken home. Maybe you feel drawn to a new opportunity, but you're afraid like the Israelites were because every time the Goliath would come out, what they do? They'd run and hide. Just like the Shunammite woman, David, Elijah, God is with you, even more so now under this new covenant with us through the work of the cross, the gospel of Jesus Christ. You've called the name of Jesus. You are born again. You are equipped with this world. You are equipped for this world to thrive in the name of Jesus. You're not equipped just to survive, you're equipped to thrive. And I want to close with this this morning. Our reconciliations this morning passed out some movie tickets. You all got some, right? Jesus' words, not mine. Jesus. Mark 9, 23. Everything is possible for one who believes. Any believers in here? You believe anything's possible? Mark 10, 27. With God, all things are possible. Jesus' words, not mine you believe that the cross was a finished work, filled with the Holy Spirit? Let those be your words this week. When things get a little rocky, nope, all things are possible, I believe. With God, all things are possible. God has promised you to see that the world calls impossible possible by your belief in the finished work of the cross. Mission possible with Jesus. Every day when you wake up, throughout your day, when you go to bed. And I would probably, <clears throat> I'm probably not alone in this one, but I believe that leadership here wants to see the body of believers in this, this house thrive. Thrive. Not just surviving, getting through the days, thriving. Most of us seem what doing life with Jesus is like walking hand in hand, staying awake to Jesus and less of this world. What life is like without him. I know for me personally, I can tell when I'm in his lap and I can tell when I'm not. How about you? Can you tell when you're in Jesus' lap and when you're not in his lap, when you're holding his hand and when you are holding his hand? Call him in his lap daily. Let him love on you. That means you have to be able to open up and say, love on me, Jesus. Love on you. And the more we embrace the love of our Father, the more we see the impossible become possible. But you remember what Jesus said. Everything is possible for one who believes. And with, all th- with-, with God, all things are possible. Mission possible with God. <coughs> Father, we thank you every day, Lord. We just thank you for just loving us. I thank you for this house, Lord, that uh, we get to come and just worship you. To praise your name. Thank you for reminding Father that it's about love. that you love us, you're for us, you're not against us. We just give you all the praise. Father, I just know in my knower that uh, this week is going to be a fantastic week for those who believe that things are possible with you. We just love you, Father. We give you all the praise in Jesus name. Amen.